This week on Erotic Awakening, ethical non-monogamy versus culture, liberators, and new studio. Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. If you are offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. The Erotic Awakening podcast, video podcast, virtual and real-time presenting are all offered free of charge. We'd like to thank our latest Patreon supporters as their donations help offset costs around these activities. Special items for Patreon supporters are coming soon, as soon as we figure out what they're going to be. <laughs> Hi, Dan. Hi, Don. Today on the podcast, we are going to be talking about ethical non-monogamy and some of the uh, challenges around the cultural narrative barriers that get in front of that, and that will make more sense to you, oh, podcast listeners, and to me as well shortly, we are uh, going to be joined with by an expert, as I don't know that I am a, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at some types of ethical non-monogamy, mm-hmm. uh, but I tend to run into cultural barriers versus avoiding them. Yeah, yeah, I get that, so... Well, we'll see what kind of questions we have for her in a little bit. We will get there in just a moment. So, uh, podcast listeners, as you may have noticed, if you follow our Instagram feed, I recently posted to the uh, Instagram the soon-to-be new studio. And, of course, then since then, I've rearranged it nine times. I know. I come home, and and Dan's like, don't go in the basement. (laughs) And uh, tonight we've set up... These really cool lavalier mics, which we found out moments before getting started, are not nearly as cool as I thought they were, uh, as now we have to hold them like itty-bitty baby penises in front of our lips. And I can hear the p p p so we'll figure something out. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of our gear just needs to be unpacked from the move. So, yeah, as you guys heard, uh, we had to close the space. We are wrapping up the last couple of days of that, and um, we will find the podcast equipment and... Get it all set up. So today on the podcast, we are joined by Marie Delafont of the Everyone's Autonomous Podcast. And uh, we're going to talk ethical non-monogamy. We're going to talk, talk about culture and some of the barriers that come up. Marie, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and first off, uh, before we get any further, tell me a little bit about your podcast. Uh, yeah. So my podcast is a bit of a niche uh, demographic. Um, I I talk about experiences that folks have had leaving forms of religion that can be toxic. And we discuss kind of how we we exited those toxic forms and what we found on the other side. And then how we recovered and reintegrated ourselves into the world with a different perspective. So that's generally the gist of what we talk about and thus autonomy is kind of the the base for me wow that's really interesting uh-oh i may have to I should, check I should think so. <laughs> i may have to go check that out <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, yes. been there done that <laughs> i can see dawn already scribbling stuff down for, for the review. oh yeah so the um but what we're going to talk about tonight is going to be long a little more along the lines of uh and we've talked on the podcast before about ethical non-monogamy uh, but you had mentioned something about the, the how we have these cultural narratives that kind of make ethical non-monogamy can be can be challenging for some people, can be a barrier for some people. Right. Yes, and, the, and those cultural barriers can be manifested in a lot of different ways. I mean, there is no overarching 
culture necessarily, but, you know, we are fed certain things through media that uh, kind of uh, set up what we think relationships look like. And we could get into a discussion about what does media and culture tell us about just sex in general, but, but more specifically or more generally what it says about monogamy. Because, I mean, I don't know how many movies, you know, after I became non-monogamous, I just couldn't watch those movies anymore where a girl is, you know, split between the hot, you know, smooth guy and like this nerdy, well-intentioned, loving guy. And then in the end, she has to make this choice and I'm watching it and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, why not both? <laughs> yeah, I, I can mention some of those movies right off the top of my head or some of the songs about mm. you're my only one and I'll always be watching you and <laughs> the creepy yeah. ones. I, I had quite a number of people uh, write me about the, the solution to one of the big problems in Hunger Games was... That's what I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah, why pick one? So, <laughs> but certainly that is... I mean, exactly that, that. Yeah, so that is the culture we are in, though, that you know it is built for two people, it's built for couples... One of the big challenges I think polyamory people often run into is when they enter a more than two relationship is that when you get a invite for the Christmas party at work, it's going to specifically say bring a guest, right? Not yeah. plural. And then you have to have that conversation with which partner gets to go and which partner doesn't get to go. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So the world is built for monogamous folks. And so even when we do go and explore this world of ethical non-monogamy, there's, there's <laughs> barriers in that. If you're, if you're raised by a monogamous culture, but you exit the matrix enough to explore other things, you're still carrying those old stories with you and nothing in, well, someone could debate me on this, but not many things in our life have prepared us for the emotional and interpersonal skill set that it takes to manage um, more than one romantic relationship, let alone all the cultural baggage that comes along with that, where we're all kind of still carrying this monogamous centric narrative inside of us, yet trying to be non-monogamous. And so certain types of jealousy show up that are jealousy that usually is mostly correlated to, I would think, a more monogamous, uh, possessive type of relationship and that manifests in non-monogamous relationships because, well, there's many reasons, but you know, that we're still carrying that baggage. And so it's not like you become non-monogamous and everything's good to go. And your whole worldview has, has changed. You've just made one intellectual uh, like value shift. Absolutely. So what kind of tools have you developed or do you recommend to assist in that transformation? Well, you know, I think the the path for each person is highly personal. And in all the work that I've done, I'm not super enthusiastic about prescribing anything to anyone. The advice that I have is very uh, generic and personal. It's, it's really, I think, the big thing that I encourage folks who are struggling in non-monogamy or are considering non-monogamy is to, to look forward to what you are going to experience. And I can try to phrase that differently, but to expect 
that things are going to be revealed to you about your inner working and your own narratives that you're carrying with you and your own trauma through these multiple relationships that you might be in. And so to enter into non-monogamy and just assume that it's just going to be a lot of really easy sex or something or easy relationship management is is probably not the best um, position to go into it with. And so I, I would recommend people just get prepared that this is going to be uh, a rewarding experience, but also it's going to really show you where your insecurities are, and it's going to really challenge you to attempt to communicate um, in a much more effective way. And that is definitely a skill that needs to be worked on, the skill of expressing your feelings and owning your feelings, and then also the skill of listening to other people's feelings without owning their feelings too. So it's these autonomous people in relationship with each other who are negotiating with each other, but respecting, you know, what the other person owns. And that's very antithetical to the main um, narrative that we have about monogamy, which is, is almost inherently codependent. I know there are some rebels out there who find ways to be interdependent or like something like that. But generally uh, our monogamous relationships are set up to be codependent in that way where we end up kind of like protecting each other and coddling each other. And, and so entering into ethical non-monogamy really is going to push your limits uh, or your, your skills of communication and managing your own emotions. Um, so that's a, one big piece of advice I give to people to expect that this is going to be challenging, to expect that you are going to be engaging in an emotionally complex um, dynamic. And so when jealousy pops up, it's not like uh, you're doing polyamory wrong or you're not doing ethical non-monogamy wrong. It's just an opportunity to explore what that means for you and to know yourself and to discover what your boundaries are. So um, a couple of things. First, I, I wanted to mention the, the monogamy. And um, I think you're, you're pretty right in that when I had my monogamous marriage, it was all about walking on eggshells. I mean, if, mm. I, if I did something wrong or he did something wrong and we knew it was going to cause discomfort with the other person, we stopped doing it or we hid it. Yeah. Whereas with the, uh, with the poly that we do, the, the ethical non-monogamy, um, you're right. I mean, it brings up issues. We knew it was going to be a utopia, right? It was going to be fantasy for us, fantasy world. Yeah. This is what we wanted. And then we started had to work on shit. And, and that was mm -hmm. like, wait, 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 this isn't supposed to be how it is. But we also didn't yeah. have role models. We're talking 20 years ago. And, yeah. um, and, and then the other thing is that I hear people say, some, some people will get like on uh, the, some of the groups that I'm on and they're like, oh my God, I'm having all these issues. And people will pop up and say, well, then you shouldn't be doing poly until you fix yourself. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, 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 nope, wait nope. a minute. Nope, 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 nope. You know what that reminds me of when people, someone said the other day, that kind of cliche throwaway phrase that says that if you don't love yourself, you can't love other people or oh, other renditions of that. I hate that, but go phrase, ahead. Right? <laughs> groan, groan, major mm -hmm. groan, because. People told me that all the time because I've mostly been a serial monogamous up until very recently. And people are always like, you know, discouraging me from moving on to the next person. Like, you need to learn how to love yourself before you love other people. And so I got married, but I got married anyway. And 
and years down the road, we've become poly. And I have to tell you, okay, so here's a, here's a big truth bomb for you. And it might not be true for everyone, but this is my true experience is that I hated myself up until I went through some major internal work in response to the feelings that I had to deal with in exploring polyamory or ethical non-monogamy. We're kind of talking about two different or similar things. But by becoming ethically non-monogamous, by radically accepting any and all feelings that showed up for me and encouraged, like using courage to engage with those and acting in good faith with my partners to work through things, I fell in love with myself. I fell in love with myself by dating more people and by managing those relationships, by noticing what came up for me, especially when my partner started dating. When he started dating, oh my God, that was a hard year for me because Mm -hmm. I didn't know how I was going to deal with it. I, I experienced a lot of jealousy and at the very beginning, I thought that I needed to be what I call, it's a term that I like to use, it's called super cool poly wife. Mm-hmm. Like the wife that's like, oh, yeah, you want her to come over and fuck for a while and like, and then I'll just go for a walk and you guys are just going to fuck in my bed. Great. Yeah. I'm super cool poly wife. Let's just, yeah, that's totally fine. And I quickly, yeah, right. I quickly <laughs> figured out that that was not a boundary that I was actually interested in nor is it some ethical higher ground that I need to strive towards that within all these um, complicated things happening around me I was able to find myself and anchor into myself by putting myself into uh, not, not necessarily chaos but I'll just use that word um, chaos in that the security that I had, the quote unquote security that I had in my monogamous relationship was just thrown up into the air and destroyed. (laughs) Absolutely. And yeah, and I had to ask myself, am I worth anything in this relationship? And that's basically what I was feeling with a really intense insecurity uh, with my partner dating other people. And I didn't really know where it was going to go. But like I mentioned at the beginning about the piece of advice that I would give you is to go into it knowing you're going to be challenging yourself and and being courageous to confront that stuff and showing up for the conversations and working on your shit. So that's what I did. It was a really hard year of like not being able to look my partner in the eyes oftentimes and like not wanting him to touch me. And I knew it was you know, objectively ridiculous because I, I have values of ethical non-monogamy, whereas my body doesn't feel the same way. It feels very upset about it. Um, so I kept working through this and talking about it. And, and in the end, I just kind of ended up realizing I'm worth a lot. I am an excellent person. I love who I've become. I have no interest in being any of the people that he ever dates, I have no interest in having sex with him like his other partners do. I don't, I don't feel the need to measure up to anyone else anymore. 
And that is something that I would have never released if I had made, remained monogamous. I really had to ask myself, do I like me? And, and that happened through polyamory. And I'm not guaranteeing anyone this realization, right. <laughs> but um, it did happen for me. So no, and and what you're saying, man, I I totally jive with oh jive. That's an old word, but I totally jive, <laughs> you know, with all of that. And I, and when I see people say, you know, you need to give up poly until you figure yourself out, I, I just I have to get on there and argue with them because I'm with you. I did most of my growth after diving into poly and sticking mm. with it and sticking with my partners while we were going through jealousy and you know all these things and. You know, sometimes something else would come up and, and my phrase would be, great, another learning opportunity. Thank you, universe, <laughs> just what I needed. But I grew as a person and, and I'm with you. I like myself now. But, but that phrase that you said, you know, you have to love yourself before someone else can love you. I, I just had another friend going through depression say that on her Facebook recently. And I, I wrote her, I said, no. I said, you mm -hmm. deserve to be loved. Even if you don't love yourself right now, you deserve to be loved as a human by someone else. And mm -hmm. you'll get to where you love yourself. And, you know, being in love with other people, absolutely. That is absolutely what, what helped me learn how to love myself. So, it's like we don't live in a vacuum. Like, where, where do they think we were going to figure out self-love like right. alone sitting in the corner looking at ourselves until we melt like <laughs> it, I, being with other people seeing my partner with other people mirrors things for me I, I mirrored all of my insecurities on my partner's partner my meta mm -hmm. I saw in her everything that I thought that I was supposed to be I'm, you know, we don't know each other in person, but it, it, when you see me, I, I, I prefer jeans. I prefer like uh, big hoodies. I have a really short pixie cut. I wear makeup maybe once a month. I talk like this loudly and <laughs> assertively. It's not, it's not the character that was presented to me as the ideal sexual partner or woman in this culture. And so, though I have been married to a fantastic man since, well, we've been together since 2010, um, it never, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Like, I think I wanted monogamy and I wanted marriage to tell me that I am loved. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. It, I, I have to speak for myself, right? Okay, so for me, marriage didn't tell my body that it's loved. It never relaxed. And just felt loved because at least he loves me. I fell in love with myself once I looked in the mirror at the person I thought I was supposed to be and had the courage or whatever the word is, I'm not still sure what it was, to say, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, I like who I am. Like, I, I don't feel the need to, to, to be that because I don't see the reason for being that. And I'm comfortable with who I am and I'm tired of compromising on my identity and what I want to do in life. And that just happened over and over and over and over in monogamy because of the culture and narratives of like needing to be best friends, 
needing to do everything together, needing to support everything. And, and now, you know, we were already not very codependent, but getting into poly, which is how we identify ourselves, has allowed us to live even more, um, <laughs> this might not sound appealing to people, but like uh, independently, like we, our time together is incredibly intentional because we are so grounded in, in our own individual identities now instead of uh, as a couple, you know, and, and to someone who doesn't know poly or ethical non-monogamy, that might sound like the scariest thing in the world. And I can empathize with that. And I'm not telling you that you need to go there. I'm not telling you anything. But for me, being grounded in myself was the anchoring that the anchor that I needed my whole life. It was it was what I really, really needed that nourishing anchor into who you are as a person, no matter who loves you, no matter who fucks you, no matter who breaks up with you. Um, and that's something that I got through the course of my life um, of constantly trying to unpack um, cultural messages about who I am, who I am as a woman, who I am as a someone who has sex, who I am as someone who has romantic feelings, um, all of those things. And so Polly has given me the opportunity to question all of those narratives and write my own story for who I am as an individual and then invite people into my life who dig that story, whether it's a short period of time of time or a, a longer period of time. And, and that's really cool because you end up, what I thought we were going to start this podcast with is, is somewhat different from what we're getting to, which is thrilling for me because it's not my mission as a somebody who identifies as polyamorous isn't to go change the world to say, look mm. at me and my multiple partners. I demand you accept me. I demand a workforce place that you allow both me and my partner and my partner's partner to attend the charity <laughs> ball or whatever the hell it is. But to your point, you're, you're, it would be great if that happened, but the reality is it is an, it's an inside job. It is what we yeah. do inside that makes a difference and making those modifications to how we perceive the world. And if the world wants to continue to be, you know, most 95% of the songs are about boy meets girl, boy falls for girl, etc. Then I can take joy in that 5% of girl meets girl. They're happily ever after. And <laughs> I do both J and, and Jane. J yeah. J and Jane. I, that's right. the song I was thinking of, <laughs> you know, and finding those, um, uh, accidental or purposeful, polyamory situations that show up mm. um, and taking joy in that without it being, without being depressed by the other 95% that just doesn't see it that way. Because the reality is I don't need the world to be monogamous or polyamorous. I need the world yeah. to get yeah. out of my way and just let me be myself. Exactly. Yeah. And I like that. I like how you kind of like pointed out the divergence here of like the expectation that we were going to talk about what's culture's problem. But let's line out, you know, what's culture's problem. But I think when I when I think about the work that I do, more and more, I'm realizing that um, the only thing I have control over is myself. And within myself is the socialization of my culture, the way that I was raised, the messages that I received and continue to receive. And so I... I mean, maybe one day I'll change the world. Maybe my name will forever be affiliated with some kind of legal thing that I, but I don't, 
I don't think it will. I think what I want to do is encourage the people who are ready to talk about it and encourage them and give them really solid tools and help them to see the uh, language and the value system that raised them and see how it, it, they all feed into our emotions because our emotions aren't just like, I read this in uh, uh, the book White Fragility that it talks about how our emotions, a lot of times we think that since we feel a certain way, it is a reflection of some kind of a truth. But instead, our feelings are actually a reflection of our values. And so if I feel jealous, does that mean I stand up and say, I'm jealous, therefore this is true, therefore I need to stand up and say this thing or do this thing or demand this thing? Or do I say, I'm noticing some feelings, I am a human being who's been socialized by culture, and my feelings are informed by a mix of my genes and my culture. So let's unpack what this feeling is and decide you know, if it's exclusively coming from culture and or whether I actually personally agree with that value. You know, all I want people to do is to feel free to question what was ingrained in them through culture and decide what works for them. And for a lot of people, they're going to decide ethically non-monogamous is not the way that they want to go. And so I'm just very pro-questioning everything not that you need to at the end of the day come out come out with 10 partners and be like look at me I won the game I am so advanced and evolved <laughs> like you said like I'm not I'm not trying to give this this whole prescription that everyone's supposed to be ethically non-monogamous I'm trying to give people space to ask themselves what they want out of life and 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 that's the culture and that's when you have to continue with that culture that's inside of you and 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 really look into yourself um which is a complicated thing to digest philosophically but hopefully people kind of know what i'm talking about absolutely uh, fantastic thank you very much for the uh, for the conversation and for the insight where can people find your podcast absolutely so people can find my podcast at everyonesautonomous.com and there are links there as well to the coaching work that I do for folks who are exploring ethical non-monogamy. You can find that at mariedelafont.com. Fantastic. So hang around uncomfortably for a couple of minutes while we wrap up the show. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Thank you. Dawn, recently we got a uh, email from uh, NZ. Is that New Zealand? I believe it is. Uh, they we should. were just talking about maybe moving to New Zealand. It'll was, never happen. But I think that was just one of those conversations of, if I could move anywhere I wanted. Exactly. And if they accepted me, which they won't. Um, <laughs> so big fan from New Zealand wrote in and said, episode 446 about being a loving, sadistic person answered lots of questions for them. So that's great to hear that the, uh, our episodes from the past are still being of value to people. So Absolutely. Um, and we are also starting to add some videos to our YouTube channel. So as the Columbus space has shut down, one of the things that we did for the Columbus space is we shot some video specifically for members. Mm -hmm. And now that the space no longer exists, I'm pulling a couple of those classes out, slapping them out on the YouTube. Um, and uh, we'll put, you know, put some classes out there. People can see us as we interact with the crowd and do naughty things to each other 
I think uh, so far I've put a class up there about talking dirty and a class about uh, exactly what is leather culture. Nice. So I actually wouldn't mind watching those again myself. You should watch those because you're going to have to have something to do while you're figuring out what else to do with this new Liberator chair that you bought. <laughs> so one of the things we did when the space was closing, we actually purchased one of the Liberators, the ESSE, which is an SE, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. It's kind of like a a wave um, a chair, kind of. It's not a, a chair. A chase lounge. lounge sort yes. Of thing. So, and there's all kinds of ways you can use it. And we may have played on that one before. So, my question <laughs> is, Don, if I went out to the website, the Liberator website, mm -hmm. uh, Luxury Sexy Furniture, um, I don't know. Uh, Marie, have you ever used a Liberator? Are you familiar with this? No, I, this is all new news. Oh, to yeah. me, this is very interesting. <laughs> well, if you come up with $585, you can go buy a Liberator Easy. <laughs> well, maybe that's what it is, Easy. E-S-S-E. -S -S -E. I don't know how you pronounce that. But, Don, why did we spend – and we didn't spend that much because ours is used, which, A, ew. Hey, B, we were the ones in charge of cleaning yes, it. Absolutely. We know it's clean. <laughs> but what, what is so, so cool about it that it, we can't – it's not it's, – how is it different from any other furniture? Well, for one, like I said, it's kind of like an S, okay. right? And for two, the last time we used it, you got to lay in the S. Uh -huh. And because it's really low to the floor, I got to, and it's narrow. So I got to straddle you and I could stand on the floor while I was on the top. Instead of trying to be on my knees with my short little legs and try to get any that bounce. <laughs> so much more comfortable. It was, com I don't know about Dan, but it was comfortable for no. me. And, and I've tried it a couple other ways being on the bottom and uh, that kind of lifts things, lifts your butt up where it needs to be. So <laughs> so instead of a flat bed, man, you've got different ways of yeah, using it. I will say that that, that that curve, the situation you're talking about is uh, pretty pretty sweet. Although I identify as normally as a top type person in some circles as a dominant, I have no problem with laying there getting fucked while your thighs do all the work because now you can actually <laughs> move. You can piston and such. Right. because And which is hard to do on a flat surface because if I'm on my knees and I'm straddling, there's, I got no up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to bounce up. I got, I got no stretch. <laughs> and, and, uh, Marie, I can, I can, I, 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 my perception of you is that you are not as ancient as Don and I are. <laughs> But when you, when you turn into your 50s, anything that makes it a little easier on the knees and a little oh, easier yeah. on the back, that's that's okay. That's bonus time. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I'm, yeah. No, I'm with you. Why would I make it more difficult for myself? Exactly. So we are going to uh, figure out a place to put it in our small place. <laughs> we are, we are, It'll come uh, in handy. <laughs> to be clear, oh, podcast listeners, we are going to fuck on that thing tonight or we're going to do something naughty on it tonight too re-energize it and reclaim it as our own absolutely <laughs> yay <laughs> see marie thought we were at this high class discussion about cultural narratives fucking on a liberator <laughs> uh, speaking of how classy we are you got any i knew what i was signing up for here <laughs> <laughs> hey look i tell you and just to, to sidebar since we are no longer officially interviewing you now we're just chatting your earlier description of a uh I don't think you used the word loud mouth, but you used a self-reference to say you speak your mind with the oh. pixie cut and you wear the hoodies. She said assertive. Assertive, is that? And I put down assertive equals passionate. 
the mm. assertive, passionate pixie cut hoodie mm-hmm. thing so works for me. Um, I thought, you, I thought that <laughs> we stopped recording and you started to flirt with me because one of the funny things we come back to, and I don't mean to, to be, uh, uh, I, trust me, I, I'll bark, no bite. But, what, you know, we talked about earlier that this whole idea of no self-love, or uh, I'm sorry, love. You, you can't be loved until you love yourself. Right, and I get that, and I get why that gives you groans, but the flip side of that is self-confidence is sexy. Mm-hmm. So That's if, what I hear, yeah. If you take that time to create self-love, then you are going to be more lovable to other people. That is true. Which is ironic because that's what some some people, yeah, that's, I mean, that still bothers me too when people do that to entice you to, to, like, they almost have to, like, bribe you to take care of yourself, like, bribe you to love yourself so that other people will love you. Like, still just does not work for me in terms of, like, the the course of that, of that motivation. Like, no, fuck that. Like, I'm going to love me because I love me, not because I need other people or want other people to love me. If they just happen to love me, that's their problem, you know? <laughs> I get it. I get it. So, And we could keep arguing about this because I'm, I'm going to turn it on Dan for a little bit. Are we arguing, dear? No. No, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Anyways. But, but just, just a quickie before we try to finish up. Um, when you and I got together, and this was 20 years ago, and you knew me 15 years before that. I did not love See, myself. Yeah, we're ancient. I did not love myself. Fair. And it was, it was very obvious mm. I did not love myself with just the way that I interacted with people and stuff like that. But you still fell in mm. love with me. But our relationship is significantly different then. Because at that yeah. point, uh-huh. it was more of a, I am going to, both of our roles flipped, right? Yeah, well, that is true. That so is you true. went from having to take care of everybody to... Being allowed to take care of yourself. Yeah. I got, I flipped from taking care of nobody but myself to learning how to take care of other people. Yeah. So it was another learning experience for us. So that we did on purpose. So that's, that is very true. That is very true. But still having, all right. right, Anyway. The next episode coming up will be (laughs) self love. Is it valuable or not? Can you buy it at Walmart? Write that down because we made. Seriously, <laughs> talk about that. So but before we cool. get into self love, let's talk about tentacle love. Ooh, tentacles. Where's my tentacles? There we go. So um, John sent me a picture of a tentacle chandelier, and then Ohio Hedgehog came through. I'm actually getting ready to set up lunch with him. He's a local person, so um, he sent me two tentacle porn pictures, and he knows what I like. So <laughs> he definitely sent the good stuff. Um, let's see. Wet tentacle sex. That was a picture. Oh my God. It was so naughty. Um, by Reverend Danny Smite off of what's he on? He's on our Twitter. So, and, um, octopus fancy facial tights. Yeah. Octopus I don't know that you saw those. So there's, uh, I recognize the name who sent them. So I had to have seen them. I may have to go look again. Teacher six, eight sent us a Etsy store that sells these oh, that's fancy right. fish. Uh, octopus tights. Yes, yes. And uh, sending me, uh, so Marie, for your information, Dawn has a kink for uh, tentacles. My kink. Tentacle sex. Yeah, I'm picking up on that. Yeah, (laughs) tentacle sex specifically. 
Not octopuses. Not not like live octopuses. Okay. Tentacles sex because <laughs> and we did a whole episode about this. What was it like one hundred or something? Where someone broke down why I like tentacle sex, yes. and it is all about the beastie mm. access. The the beastie um, shit. What's the word I'm looking for? But the whole be- aspect. I said something else. The whole beastie aspect of it, where they just take and. It's not the beastie aspect. It is the um, same energy of being taken. Right. Right. But you're being taken not by a, a sentient creature with ethics that knows better. Right. But by a monster that rawr. Mm. Yes. So. And uh, <laughs> speaking of food on I, boobs, I've got Which is Dan's. No, no, no food, food on, on boobs. boobs again. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? There's a photo shoot coming up soon with um, CKPG. What does Columbus that stand Kinky for? Columbus Kinky Photo Group. Yes, Columbus Kinky Photo Group. They're, and I'm in the raffle to be part of the photo. Because they've, they've, only, they've uh, someone's. Uh, given them some outdoor space uh-huh. where they can do their photo shoot since they can't do it at the space anymore because we don't exist. Um, and only so many people can go oh, right. because they COVID, have to keep it sure. small. So they're doing a lottery. That's what it's called, oh. not a raffle, a lottery. So I put so my name in, in for it. I'm in the lottery for it. That is so significantly different than, I'm a raffle prize. I know. <laughs> hey, I'd like to be a raffle prize. <laughs> we never got to that event. Um so, yeah, so I might do that. Maybe we can get you some food on boobs. New subscriber to the newsletter includes Charlie from Illinois. Get your EA shout-out. Head over to eroticawakening.com, and you'll find a link on to the EA newsletter. So, um, Dan, do you have that limit list in front of you? I do. Uh, and, Marie, you uh, earlier on the podcast, when you signed the contract to be on the podcast, which you never actually <laughs> did, it would have said something like you agree. <laughs> I recall. Ask, I recall. <laughs> you agree to answer one of our strange, kinky questions. Uh, would you like question number one I or did. question number two? Wow, there's doors to pick. Oh, yeah. this is exciting. Okay. Well, I would be boring if I was just like satisfied with the first option. So I guess I have to go with number two. All right. Uh, are you into? Have you ever tried? Do you dig the idea of sexy truth or dare? Sexy truth or dare? I mean, that brings me back to like when I actually did truth or dare as a kid and I hated it. I was always about the truth, but never the dare. I don't know. There is still too much like wrapped up for that one. Like, like childhood, like be made fun of thing. I don't think I've explored that since then. That's a good question though. I'd never thought of that. So that sounds like a maybe. It's a, it's a, it's a tentative, like, I don't know. Like I, I would have to think about it, like, and toss it around in my head a little bit. Don? Me? Well, when you first said it, my first thought was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah, then I do, I, I'm also more about the truth than the dares. Cause the people I know, those yeah. are going to be some wicked ass dares, but they can be fun too. <laughs> so, so my first response was wet. <laughs> So I'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> if, I, if I can, if I can pick the people that are in our, the truth or dare game. <laughs> there you go. I'll yeah. give you that. Same I'll give me. you that. Yeah. I, I will say for myself that is uh, absolutely one of few things that I fantasize about still because it just it avoids one of the issues because you and I have been so 
uh, wrapped up in consent culture mm-hmm. that I can't even go to a swing club and stare at people anymore without feeling funny because nobody's giving me permission right. to look at them, even though they're in the center mm-hmm. of the room. <laughs> so Sexy Truth and Dare is this wonderful uh, consent pass because you have the opportunity to say no. Right. Pass. I'll pass on that dare. Thanks. Anyway. Right. At any point. Yeah. So yeah, there you I go. I like that. So Dawn, oh. you are stuck with uh, number one. Uh, how do you feel about underwater sex? Underwater sex. Yes. And and it does specifically say not uh, in the water, underwater. No. I have a fear of like, drowning. Scuba? <laughs> I guess it could be scuba. It could be scuba. Oh, I can't do scuba either. That's that's the, what is it that I have? Claustrophobia. Claustrophobia. <laughs> my brain is dead. Uh-huh. So if we are fucking underwater, but my head is above water, Absolutely. I've done that <laughs> many yeah. times. But if it's my face underwater, <laughs> no. Okay. Nope. Off the, yeah. And, and now that you mentioned it, I remember that. That is on our, our list of things. We actually do have a list of things we don't do. Yeah. Uh, so. So, but what about you, Marie? What? Underwater oh, sex? I've, I mean, I've had sex usually in hot tubs. That's, that's <sighs> the place to go. But now I'm of the age where it's like I've seen too much. So, like, unless I cleaned that hot tub, like, I don't want my bits being filled with that hot tub water. I've had enough yeast infections to know I don't want that shit. Exactly. Exactly. So, Dan, you get number three. Okay. So, um, masturbation. Not a fan. Not a fan? No, you know what? Doing or watching? Doing. This is assuming doing. Okay. This is assuming doing. Okay. I am a little... I guess unusual for a male-bodied person in that I have master. I masturbate about three times a year. I would say over the past five years. Huh. Yeah, maybe a little bit more because I used to travel for work. <laughs> and is that is that for pleasure or is that to knock one out so you can get to sleep? Knocking one out. Um, knocking one out to get to sleep because I like being horny. I uh-huh. like having that, you know, I have no problem with most of the time with going to bed horny. That's fine by me mm-hmm. um, until it's a problem. Right. In which case it's like, <laughs> all right, uh, where's the box of tissues and whatever. <laughs> and which is particularly funny because as you know, not only you, uh, my dear wife, who is also a slut, <laughs> plus I have other people in my life that <laughs> they often are offended when they, oh yeah, I masturbated the other night. How dare you? How dare you spell that scene without including me in this? You needed tissue. So when you said, where's the box of tissues? My first thought was, uh, where's my mouth? Why are you going for a box of tissues? So, oh my gosh. Now, now me personally, I love masturbation. And um, it was actually kind of funny because uh, Barrick picked up my phone the other day to do something on my phone to set it up. He did. And I so let him in there. and he went to Google and it went to Pornhub. And um, he's like, whoa, why is it on Pornhub? I'm like, because I masturbated last night. That's where it's supposed to be. And that just took him by surprise. So I, I, I masturbate a lot. Sometimes it is to get to sleep, but I still take pleasure in it. I like our friends. I like our friends too. In that you did not have to go, oh, Pornhub. Oh, uh, the, 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 uh, one of my kids had my phone, I guess. that, Or, or I went to... Um, Piranha Hub, and I misspelled it or something. Yeah, oh, I, no. You were just like, yeah, I, was, I was playing with myself last night. What's the deal? Yeah, exactly. So he just gave me that look. I'm like, wait a minute. Marie, do you have an opinion on masturbation? No, I 
have no, no, I do. I mean, yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> like, I think something, something I've realized recently is that I don't naturally just kind of, I don't really masturbate a, by myself a lot. Like, I only, like, I have that kind of sexuality where I'm thinking about sex mostly if I'm in a sexual relationship. But otherwise, if I'm not, I don't really think about it a whole lot. Like, it's just, I don't know, there's probably a word for that, like a uh, responsive sexuality or something. But like, so yeah, I mean, I'm very pro it, but I only do it when I feel like it, which is, you know, it depends on the situation that I'm in. So, and I'm actually, I actually find that with a lot of women that they're, um, I don't know if this is your case, but with some women that I work with, they uh, th- there's taboos there with masturbation still. So I actually started doing, mm-hmm. um, I called them Jill circles at the time because in the swing world, there's something called Jack and Jill parties yep. where it's mutual masturbation. Mm-hmm. And um, I started Jill circles up in Chicago and meant to do it here in Columbus. And now we're all closed down. But um, where I would have mm-hmm. women, we would all lay hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder on mattresses it, up at kinky college in their orgy room so and we would we would go mm. up there and the whole theme of it was masturbation so for 20 minutes mm. i would set a timer the women that had volunteered we would be watched people could watch around us i'm i'm an exhibitionist so that that works for me anyway but yeah. um because they were in safe space and i would set a 20 minute timer and they got to masturbate, clothes on, clothes off, toys, no toys, hands, whatever. We didn't touch each other, but we touched shoulder to shoulder. And 20 minutes. And when the timer goes off, hands in the air. And that way you didn't have to worry about mm-hmm. if you actually had an orgasm or not. Because for mm-hmm. some women, it was so new for them that there's no way yeah. they were going to reach an orgasm. And this way, they didn't have to feel stressed. But anyway. That's beautiful. That's such a safe space. That's I, I'm so glad you're doing that. Yeah, I will pick it up again because I was supposed to do it twice in Canada this summer. Yep. And both events got, got canceled. canceled. Yep. I was going to do it in Edmonton and Toronto. Yep. Well, time huh. hmm? uh, next year. Next year. Here's hoping. Yep. Cool. Uh, yeah. I think it's about time to wrap up, isn't it? You heard the song. I, I, <laughs> I, I hear the music. music in there. Huh? <laughs> Take a moment to support the podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Or just tell your friends. If you like what we're doing, head over to patreon.com erotic awakening and take a look at options like this kind of stuff, extra content, and more. So if we well, when we schedule our next Zoom meeting, the info will be going out to our Patreon supporters. Bye, Dan. Bye, Don. Bye, Bye Marie. Marie. Bye. Okay.